0: This is Caleb J. Ross, author of Stranger Will and I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin. You are listening to Booked Podcast, and I'm not, because it's terrible.
1: Guys, tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden.
2: And I'm Rob Olson. This week, we have a very special guest joining us to talk about the Chuck Polinick booked damned. Uh, Sean Ferguson, booked alum, is joining us. Sean, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. My nipples are hard to be here.
1: There there it is. Oh, and I thought we could get a few minutes in at least. Nope,
0: nope, 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 (laughs) nope.
2: Out of the gate, he hit the ground running.
0: Yes. It's all downhill from here.
1: Alright, not that anybody needs to know Who Chuck Palahniuk is Um, I'm assuming if you you found the internet You probably know uh, who he is But he is the author of such classics as Fight Club, Invisible Monsters, and Choke
2: He's also written plenty of other books And his novel Fight Club Obviously became a very famous movie As well as Choke Was later adapted into a story as well Starring Sam Rockwell, who I think is awesome
0: It was also adapted into a movie What did I say? It was adapted into a story. Fuck.
1: <laughs> Sean, you are a new uh, quality control expert. This is why, yeah. All I right. That shit. A little bit about the story, and this is taken from Wikipedia because apparently Amazon's description was terrible. <laughs> The novel opens with Madison Maddie Spencer waking in hell. Unsure of the details of her death, she believes she has died of a marijuana overdose. Maddie quickly gets to know her nearby cellmates, one of whom, dressed as a punk rocker, uses a safety pin to unlock first his own cage, then the cages of Madison and her nearby cellmates. And so they explore hell.
0: You know, uh, I'm beginning to pick up uh, on the fact that my opinion of this book is going to differ from the two of yours just from the little bits of conversation that we've had over the week and and from the hour and a half of preparation that we've had this evening <clears throat>
2: yeah well yeah well mine's mine's to be honest to be completely honest mine's constantly changing at this point and um kind of the more that I reflect on it uh it's kind of gaining a more positive light so we'll see how that turns out a little bit about the story and the main character Madison the book starts out, uh, the very beginning of it basically is her talking about the the time before she died and how her, her very rich parents, her kind of eccentric mother is is using her computer to look at all the houses that they have around the world. So you, you find out early on that it's a very rich family and her parents are, are pretty eccentric and, and weird. And so um, so right off the bat, it's a bit quirky, I'd say. Uh, it's not your typical story uh, just the idea of of remoting like video remote looking into uh, uh, <laughs> your your houses around the world and tormenting the maids by locking them in rooms and stuff like that was was kind of a goofy uh a light-hearted start to a book that promises that you know a a, a tween is gonna die and, and and it's based on her so it was it for me it seemed like a very light-hearted start to the book
0: I don't even know that it was just the first chapter. It was actually like the first third of the book or so I thought was relatively amusing. It actually had me laughing for a good way into the book. And I I haven't laughed like that for a while at a book. So I was actually a little impressed with that myself.
1: Yeah, a lot of. Um, Even in a lot of the description of the book, they kind of describe this, uh, you know, this breakfast club type group that comes together, which includes, um, you know, a jock, uh, the kind of dirtbag loser, the nerd, um, the prom queen. uh, And this book threatened to become breakfast club in hell throughout and managed not to surprisingly enough because I kept waiting (laughs) for it to just be exactly that. I mean, even from its own description, if we would have gone on even with the Wikipedia one, it talks about you know, characters based on the breakfast club. And I kept fearing it was going to turn into that. And amazingly enough, it didn't.
2: Mm-hmm. And kind of like what Sean was saying about it being funny and everything. It, it's very much got this very comfortable feel of, of a series of snarky observations of really weird situations and stuff. So yeah, it's very comfortable and easy to read and be amused by, but for me, typically, I worry about that in a story because it seems like it's an easy place to go, and um, if it's not done right, I feel like it's just kind of too shallow of a, of a way to go about making a story. But it didn't feel that way. I think he did a good job with it, and it and it, like Sean said, there was <laughs> as well as we'll show you in in the, in the quotes section a lot of very 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 funny moments
0: what did, what did you think about the uh, currency system that they had there
2: right out of the left field i never would have thought of it and and it didn't really even make sense to me through most of the book till almost to the end where it clicked and i was like man i should be kicking myself in the ass
0: you know i didn't even get it till just now when you just <laughs> said that i was like no fucking way he's right <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just thought it was completely odd and amusing all at the same time.
2: I,
1: <laughs> Liv, what do I, you think? I, I'm still trying to figure out what you guys are talking about because apparently I missed something. I know okay. Okay, the currency they're referring to is is candy. Demons can be plied with candy, which I thought was a little odd, too. But apparently I missed a bigger something there that I'm still not quite getting.
2: Okay, well, this isn't really going to spoil anything, but... um. Uh, And if it ends up that you guys disagree, and it is finally saying, I'll just cut it out. But uh, uh, towards the end of the book, uh, it's revealed that, you know, people in hell get to go back to Earth only one day out of the year, and it's on Halloween. And um, so they go up there and they collect all the candy, which is used as currency down in hell.
1: Yep, still did. I got it now, but it took some explaining to do it. And much like jokes, it would have been much better if no one had to explain it to me. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, I can't believe I didn't see that.
2: Wow, then I'm the, <laughs> the... Now, where I was just like a minute ago, very ashamed that it took me so long to figure it out, now I'm proud that I am like first in line of a, a line of
1: three assholes. <laughs> yeah, you know the down. funny part is? Is Chuck Politics going... <laughs> Hey, yeah! yeah. That's why it's candy.
2: <laughs> we had one of those moments when so we interviewed Chris Deal. I was talking about one of the cool things about one of his uh, <laughs> short stories in Sin Fuegos, and I was like, yeah, and it kind of does this, and he said, I never thought of that. So, <laughs> I was like, wow. Alright. It's kind of almost cooler that he didn't think about that, but... Uh,
1: yeah, so I <laughs> had some of that too. I read a an interview with him where He talked about that scene in fight club with uh, where they're at the, the cancer survivor meeting mm. or whatever it is where you get your own, your own inner animal or whatever it is. And, and like how he read, someone wrote an essay about like how the penguin represented his, his protagonist that felt like a bird without wings and this and that. And he's like, I just thought it'd be cool if it was a penguin. <laughs> right, right, right. I remember hearing about that. <laughs> That's true so back back on track a little bit with the story so our our protagonist is a 13 year old girl finds herself in hell, and uh besides dealing with the fact of, of being dead, which she spends a lot of time in the book reflecting on being dead versus being alive, um, she kind of has to come to terms with her own feelings and and her own her own being, basically I mean just her personality and and what it's gotten her and where it can take her if she doesn't kind of you know figure herself out.
0: That's kind of when it happens, though. I, I, I didn't feel that that's, it felt out of place.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I imagine if I woke up tomorrow and was dead, I'd probably spend some time really dealing with that and being pretty pissed off about it. Um, but she makes some some really interesting, and, and really, I mean, in a way, one of my gripes about the book, I'm kind of going off story here, but Mandy was way too smart and not really believable for me as a 13-year-old.
2: Well, to counter that, I... Just the thought of of the, the childhood that she's presented as having, um, having these rich parents and kind of going all around the world. I think that you would be exposed to a lot more situations and, and gain knowledge of a lot more things uh, just through all of the constant moving around and things that you're exposed to. And like if you have celebrity parents dealing with the media and everything, it, it, it's not a sheltered life. You're kind of exposed to a lot of crazy stuff, I imagine. And that's where her kind of... For me, when I was piecing the story together in my mind, I saw that the you know her her personality was a result of like all the things that she was subjected to as as a child of of celebrity rich parents. and all the stuff that you know she they put her through and and put her in front of and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I guess I could see that now that you put it that way. Yeah, Sean, what do you think?
0: <laughs> Couple that with um some of the books that she has read and apparently is very fluent. And I don't know that it was all that out of place.
2: Yeah. And just a little bit more about uh, the way that her parents treat her. Um, so they're very, very liberal. And, and I guess it's in, in, in the book, it's, it's, it's explained as a function of, of being very rich, liberal parents who wish that they had a different childhood they expose her to a lot of stuff that typically parents would shield their children from, and so um, she kind of has a reverse reaction that you know normal kids would. So they expose her to drugs and talk about sex very openly, and so she's much more she's less she's less eager to to experience drugs and sex and stuff because it's so pushed in her face all the time. So uh, I feel like yeah, that's kind of those types of situations would cause you to mature quicker and and be I guess more reflective and critical of situations than the average thirteen year old girl would be. You guys fall asleep while I was talking? Yes. <laughs> I'm still here. Okay. I don't want it to I don't want to represent the book as something like super deep and thought prov- I mean like there is this this young girl who's very aware of her surroundings and intelligent for her age. But I mean, it's very jokey and a lot of really goofy situations happen, uh, as she travels through hell with her breakfast club type group of, of, friends and stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, she's just kind of faced with figuring out what it's like to be in hell. Can she get out of hell? Those types of situations and, and kind of coming to terms with what it's like to be facing your eternity in this kind of ridiculous afterlife, I guess. And would it be too much of a spoiler to say um, that her parents were like very atheist and, I guess, Buddhist? They didn't really believe in hell or anything like that, so she was not prepared for it I guess
1: in her religious upbringing? No. No, I don't think so at all. Cool. Then I'm just leaving that in. (laughs) I'm talking about hell. Sean, what did you think uh, about the landscape of hell?
0: Um... I was totally unprepared for that question. Um,
1: I always ask the tough ones.
0: <laughs> you son of a bitch.
2: <laughs> he of the <a> loaded question. <laughs> uh,
0: it wasn't what I expected. You know, I was expecting stereotypical... And I don't want to answer this question too much because it gets into my opinion of the book, but I was expecting... Rocks and fire and whatever stalactites and stalagmites and and fire and you know you had like the lake of insects and the the swamp of partial birth abortions and <laughs> and, and I thought some of that was amusing and disgusting and and wonderful all at the same time because it was different
1: yeah, he did manage to, to paint some very vivid foul <laughs> disgusting pictures that uh is the uh the ocean of wasted semen yeah. uh, and then there was a it's like a, d- a dandruff desert of sorts so it was just a, yeah, yeah i again and i've read some other books that have taken place at least partially in hell um and then this was more i think the like kind of like the south park version <laughs> of, of hell um <laughs> Which was equal parts gross out and, and and actually fairly thoughtful on some of the things that, that appeared there that you wouldn't think about in everyday life.
2: Well, yeah, as much as it seems like it's kind of like a goof or a joke or just like a, a humorous take on, on the situation, the more I think about it, like everything you guys described are all things that I'm thinking of myself being in a situation where that's all I have con that's my atmosphere that's what I have around me and that's just
1: like everything that whoa, 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 whoa. yeah Sean you heard <laughs> the same thing right dandruff partial birth Hold abortions <laughs> wasted semen is that what I'm saying That's every- that's everything what that I
0: fuck did you move away from or move into from Vermont to Chicago
2: no I'm saying I'm imagining myself in an atmosphere like that where that's all that I'm subjected to and it would be that's like everything that I hate the most that I don't want. I don't want weird toenail clippings around me. I don't want to have to deal with, you know, um, (laughs) bugs and stuff like that. I hate that kind of stuff. Was I saying that weird?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, dude, it sounded like, like these are my everyday
2: surroundings. Like, no, I said, I'm imagining myself in, in that atmosphere. I bathe
0: in semen. I rub it all (laughs) over my body. What a
1: weirdo. (laughs) Oh, what a great sound bite that one's going (laughs) to (laughs) be. I'm gonna cut this. This is Sean Ferguson, and I bathe in semen. <laughs> um,
2: Whatever. No, but I'll like,
1: I'll
0: do, you, do it again if it didn't come out right.
2: Um, yeah, we'll get a clean take of that later. <laughs> but that's—I mean—what I'm saying is, all that stuff is just like, just picture yourself surrounded by nothing but that—you know—nasty cast off your like bodily f- fluids and functions and stuff. It's that's really unsettling, like to think. That that's all that you have around you. And and yeah, I thought, now that I think about it, that would be very hellish for me, at least.
0: That's what I call work.
1: And, and yeah, I mean, a lot of it was was borderline stomach turning. Like, I, I read this book over a couple of lunches at work, not totally, but while I was eating lunch at work. And there were a couple parts where I was like, uh, you know, maybe I just got to leave this for later tonight.
2: Here's... um. A bit of a serious thing about this book, and Livia's pointed me to an interview that um, Paulinick did on Litreactor dot com that I read after finishing the book, and it, it really kind of changed my view of a lot of the book. Was um, he, he was talking about, or the interviewer asked him about when he was writing the book? I guess he was at, at uh, his mother's bedside she was suffering from breast cancer, and she eventually passed away. So he was going through a lot of serious. Um, Facing mortality kind of situation and and being there for her mom as she passed and everything so uh, it's really I, I imagine something that he used as a way to help cope with all the grief he was feeling but also just just the the thoughts the constant thoughts in his head about death and facing death that he was going on with so it's a really interesting interview and uh, I'll definitely put a link for it in the post for this uh for this episode
1: I don't really know what like Obviously, I read the same interview and I thought, like my thought was, God, it's got to be hard to really treat death as tongue in cheek while you're sitting by the bedside of a loved one that's dying. But I guess, I mean, we all have our own kind of coping mechanisms. But I I was kind of like you said, there's some things in that interview that kind of enlightened me to to some of the book and kind of started to change my opinion on some things. And then that was really one of them is um, giving him credit for writing something that's really, really funny about death knowing that he spent a lot of that time you know with with a loved one that was dying. Mm-hmm.
0: But it's also written by the guy who wrote guts and <laughs> throws out rubber body parts at readings and I think you'd be hard pressed to find anything coming from this guy being totally and completely normal and boring and and well maybe not boring I've read a good portion of his work. Um, and uh, so I'm not entirely shocked.
2: Yeah. And my perspective, I guess, and I haven't in my own life, thankfully faced the specter of death too often. Um, but my father passed away, you know, a while ago or whatever. And I remember in in dealing with thinking of it constantly, I found myself like obviously and, and talking to people a lot. They say, you know, that getting your mind off of it or distracting yourself is is a good thing to do so that you're not just dwelling in all this negative stuff. But another thing is just like at some point, just to deal with the gravity of your situation, you do have to kind of just make light of it in a way to help yourself cope. It's like a coping mechanism in a way. So I'm not saying that's (laughs) what this book is, but I can imagine that in serious situations like that, you just joke to kind of break up the mood a little bit
0: ready go um at the beginning of uh every chapter of the book there was um uh, i don't know if you want to call it a prayer maybe it was a letter or whatever but it, it always started with are you there satan it's me maddie or it's me madison and um after the fourth or fifth chapter of realizing that this was what I was going to be subjected to for the entire book, um, the words and the order of the words started sounding like something I had heard before. And then that's when I came to Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret by Judy Bloom. Now, if I've read that, I read it when I was eight— so I don't know what the book is about, but I thought that that might have been an interesting point to talk about. Otherwise, we can move on right quick. Oh.
1: I would just like to say right now that since I was left out of the candy thing earlier, um, probably two <laughs> or three months ago when I first read what this was, book was about, the Amazon blurb, that's the first line on there, and the first thing that I thought was, Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. So there. Redemption for me a little bit, at least. <laughs>
0: Whoa. And, wow! Well, you still like Twilight, so don't boast too bad.
1: Oh, that gauntlet just got thrown. We're no longer allowed to discuss that on the show, Sean. We can, we can do this off the air if you'd like.
2: Aww. The only thing I have to say about it is that I think uh, it's cute, and maybe age—well, I don't know if age-appropriate is right, but if I were 13 years old and, you know, killed— I found myself kind of like processing it. I could see somewhat plagiarizing an author I was used to. So it kind of makes I think it's a I think it's appropriate and it's kind of a good callback. I think it fits.
1: Yeah, I liked what she did, or what he did, at least what the character did in starting off every chapter with the letter to Satan kind of thing. I thought that was actually a fairly clever way to introduce the next section of of the story, mm-hmm. either one of you guys read Super Fudge just because we we're on the Judy Bloom thing. No, nothing. I uh, when Superfudge. I was in
0: when I was in second grade, yeah, I was gonna say that
2: was you know over twenty years ago. So yeah. I, now I, read <laughs> I read Super
1: Fudge. I read Super Fudge repeatedly when I was a youngster, like repeatedly, like I'd finish it and start it over again.
2: I I'm sure I read plenty of Judy Bloom but I don't remember a damn thing about any of it
1: I'll loan you my copy of super fudge <laughs> the tattered book copy of super
2: fudge that you have um, yeah overall it was a cool it was a cool way to start it out and um, I got used to it and I kind of look forward to it to be honest
1: so uh, this ties into one, one of my notes that I have and you, you can't find a Polonic book that doesn't have that trademark kind of repetitive and I don't even know tool throughout the book, and there were several of them in this one, including, I think, the "Are you there, Satan? It's me, Maddie." Um, you know, you can go back through the books, and, and and you know, Fight Club. It was I am Jack's blah 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 throughout the mm-hmm. whole book. In and, and, um, Survivor, it was how to get blood stains out of something, and in more right. recently, in Tell All, I believe it was uh, how a, how certain um, actors died or whatever it was so he has like a very repetitive tool that he uses throughout each book and in this one um there's that one there is um there's maddie constantly pointing out that um that she may only be 13 but she knows words like you know oh whatever. god in the, yeah in the, in the previous yeah so that was that got old real quick if you like it or not there was that, and there was another one and i meant to make a note and now i totally lost what it was there was it a was third. about
0: it was about her parents this is what my father would say, but this is what he really meant. Exactly. This yes, is what my mom would word. say, and this
2: is what she really meant.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, and, some of those individual statements were very clever.
2: Yeah, really funny deconstructions of, like, um, like words of wisdom, I guess is what it was. So they'd say, like, you know, don't judge a book by its cover, meaning, you know, you have to, you know, whatever. And which she would go into what they actually meant when they said it, even if it wasn't, like, you know, even if it was just like their own petty way of thinking about things or something, it was pretty clever.
1: Like I said, and individually, I'm with Sean on this, that it was a little too much.
2: But
0: I did notice, at least with the parent stuff, towards the end, it it didn't stand out and it wasn't quite as obnoxious.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Correct. It kind of got muted. So anyway, every time I pick up a, a Polonik book, it, it's – as early as I can, I try to pick that what that's going to be. Like the first, I, I it's almost like a game I play. Like I know it's coming, so I try to see if I can catch it on the very first one. And uh, and on this one, yeah, I, I did. At least with her pointing out her age, but that she knows words. I saw that was going to be repetitive throughout the book.
2: Sweet, good pull.
0: And then um, there were the nicknames for the girls that she had the mm. girls she went to school with. Yeah. I I hated that. It drove me nuts because I my brain would come to a screeching halt and try and figure out what it was. Like I'd be moving along and then I'd come to this name such as Miss Trollop Van Trollopson and Miss Wanton McSlutsky. <laughs> yeah. and, and my brain would just come to a screeching halt and, and let's figure out exactly what it is that he's saying. And then I'd move right along and after a while, especially – the last couple chapters it got bad
2: Mm -hmm. that's the trap i think with making up words in a story is like you really interrupt the flow of what you're saying and i felt that was the case i mean like i think i learned (laughs) early in the book that i could just gloss over it and i know he's talking about some chick that she doesn't like basically so
1: which is exactly what I was going to say. I think after the third one, you could tell me that he used the same three, just like kind of in rotation, and I'd believe you because I stopped paying attention to what they actually were. And just like you said, I'd glaze over them, and it meant skanky chick. So. Yeah,
2: but I agree with Sean. It's, it's definitely, I see what he was doing, and I understand how that might be somewhat authentic for the, for the perspective of a 13-year-old girl. But yeah, for me, it didn't do anything to enhance the story. Okay. Does anybody else have any kind of final general thoughts before we move on to quotes and, and wrapping up and doing a, a review of the book?
1: No, I think I'm good. Cool. No, I'm good.
2: All right. Um <laughs> Sean and I have a, a I know Sean's got a few quotes and I've got in my typical style about five or six quotes. So Sean, uh do you want to kick it off and then we'll kinda of just uh you know, do in turns we'll do the quotes.
0: Sure. This uh, first one kind of speaks to uh, what Livius had brought up about the, uh, I know I'm just a 13-year-old girl, but uh, it's, uh, Yay, gods, I might be the privileged, wealthy, insulated scion of celebrity parents, but I still know where babies and carrots come from. Although I was never entirely certain where Goran, 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 Goran. whatever the fuck his name is, originated. (laughs)
2: Liv, you got one? You want me to toss one out?
1: Um, Go ahead and toss one out. I've taken a real liking to reading entire passages, so I think I'll just save mine for the end. Jesus. All right. Uh, This first
2: one, um, this, for me, it just typifies a writing style that I really enjoy. And, And it's one of those moments, you know, that I reflect on and think, yeah, that was really great. So... Yes, and I know that when a super sexy older girl with hips and breasts and nice hair wants to take off your glasses and to paint you a smoky eye she's merely trying to enroll you in a beauty contest, she's already won. Supreme. Uh, This
0: was uh, rather early in the book. It was uh, part of uh, the description of the landscape of hell trickling toenails threaten to become full-fledged avalanches which could bury us alive and then in parentheses it's got alive question mark and uh it was with that simple sentence that i said uh maybe i should go ahead and back out of this podcast and quit reading this dumb book now
2: (laughs) (laughs) and uh on that note the next one i'm going to read contains something that sean has railed against in a previous uh, episode of the show um And it's a little more one of those more serious ones, and it goes. Reading most books feels exactly like you're a dead body. It's also finished, and that pause was the ellipses that Sean hates. Um, The reason I like that is because like it it, was a very serious. She reflected a lot on books. She talked about books. She read a lot throughout, and um, her reflection about books was that like it's all you know very final and. and and stuff like that, and it kind of runs counter to the theme of of the book, which is, like, she discovers that there's a hell. It doesn't just end there, and that, you know, that you have influence over your existence and stuff like that. So I thought it was a cool um, reflection on the permanence or impermanence of things.
0: Which I think is odd because... Obviously, it's not final. She's having a character arc after she's gone, after she's dead. Mm -hmm. There's not supposed to be a personality or whatever, or a soul. uh, I don't know how to word it to get what it is I'm trying to say out, which is horrible and frustrating.
2: (laughs) Well, the uh, the book jumps back and forth, and this is kind of a weird thing. Obviously, when you're alive the biggest thing you have to lose is life. Um, but in the afterlife, you would think, oh, I have nothing to lose because I'm dead. Um, but then throughout, you kind of, it kind of jumps back and forth between her having something to lose and her being hopeless and everything like that. So it was, it was really interesting. And then the whole idea, like you said, of her having a story arc, there is, there is an element, and I don't know how to say this without spoiling anything, of, of her being a character in a story yeah
0: it'd be a pretty shitty book if there was no character arc and since she it starts with her being dead obviously Mm -hmm. there's going to be some sort of change I guess Mm -hmm.
2: but and she even says at some point in the book like uh, one of the things she says or reflects or thinks to herself is I can't remember exactly what it was something like why am I a character in a story to everybody but myself or something like that Um, I don't know there's a whole lot of like weird reflections on life and stuff going on. Liv, you got any thoughts? Can you pull me out of the water here?
1: It's <laughs> so much fun because it's usually me fighting with you on something. So it's funny to hear someone else do it. <laughs> um, like, look, here's the thing. The, the book is a little deeper than, than we're alluding to because obviously we don't want to spoil the book. There are there is definitely a, a pretty significant character arc, and it's about somebody dealing with a situation—call it hell or because she's dead or whatever. It's no different than any other book starts out. There is a something that has happened that has changed in our character's life. Just in this case, it's our protagonist is dead, and he has to cope with that. So, there it is. There it is.
2: <laughs> Livia and Sean was telling yes. me earlier today that I guess at least once in every episode we say, "There it is."
1: I, I know. Well lately I'm making sure we say it because he pointed that out. <laughs> so <laughs> All right, back to quotes. You got I'm
2: more? gonna
1: break I'm gonna break up your quotes a little bit here and I'm gonna like I said I've become a big fan of just reading passages that I like instead of quotes. So um this one I picked in particular because if there are any um serious Paul and Nick fans um, out there, they'll remember um uh uh, scene in invisible monsters where the protagonist is having thanksgiving dinner with his parents and and there's just something that's said that's completely misunderstood and it kind of gets to be this out of whack story where he just goes on and on with these inappropriate things so this section kind of reminded me of that and this is maddie's parents um getting ready to have the sex talk with her at 13 i think this also (laughs) kind of is a little bit about it shows a little bit about how the parents were with her so now my dad says when a man loves a woman very very much or my mom adds shooting him a look when a man loves a man or a woman loves a woman in the fingers of one hand she still toys with a scrap of red gross grain ribbon my father nods your mother is right he adds or when a man loves two women or three women backstage after a big rock concert or, my mom says, when a whole cell block of male prisoners love one new inmate very, very much. Or, my dad interjects, when a motorcycle gang making a meth run across the southwestern United States loves one drunken biker chick very, very much. <laughs> so, that was one of my favorite passages in the book. And like I said, just a throwback to how a conversation can get really, really out of whack really quickly.
2: Yeah, I like that one as well. Sean, you got any more?
0: Uh, Yeah, this is... Um when the group is starting to get to know each other and they're still in their cages. Without looking up from her own reflection in her compact mirror, Babette asks, What are you down here for? Offsides, the football man calls back. And I picked that out because that is the line. That cracked me the fuck up. I actually, I was in a room in a meeting trying to pretend like I was paying attention and I was really just reading this book, (laughs) and my cover was blown because it was dead silence, and I just exploded with laughter. It was a good time. I was totally busted.
1: Now that's a football term, right?
0: It
2: is a football term. Yes. (laughs) Oh, Lovias. I use it in
1: soccer, too. Saying
2: Piggybacking on on that quote and and kind of just the, the idea of, of there was a lot of talk about what you could do to qualify to go to hell as opposed to or or guess be excluded from being in heaven. Um, and some of it's very superficial and that was kind of the offsides was a joke on that, but there's another one. And, uh, I thought this was a, I thought this was so appropriate for a book review podcast, but, um, the, the more striking thing is that Livius didn't pick it out as a quote being a critic And the quote is, critics and movie reviewers really, really count on
1: there being no actual hell. I refuse to put that down because I feared for my eternal soul.
2: I thought, well, I mean, at least as long as you acknowledge it. (laughs) Because I thought that was like a (laughs) gimme that it had to be on the It is a
1: very good quote.
2: And then I'm going to do another one back-to-back because um, uh, we're talking about hell and the landscape of hell and everything and how it's – what was the – the sea of, or the ocean of wasted semen or whatever. Maddie's talking about this and how um, wasted semen goes to, trickles down into hell and it's growing into this big, big ocean because of all the, you know, masturbating that's going on and everything. <laughs> My quote is In hell, porn is creating an effect equivalent
1: to that of global warming on earth.
2: Good stuff.
0: Good stuff.
1: There's a lot of really, really funny stuff in this book. And um, honestly, I mean, that's where its merit lies.
2: Um, you got any more or can I throw out one last one? Oh, good. Okay, this one, I it, this was probably my favorite individual quote in the book, not necessarily for the content or, or the impact, just for how funny it was and how unique of a perspective it was. These Immigrant Souls sport the traveled-on cosmetics and overly primped hairdos that only an undertaker would inflict and only a corpse would tolerate. That's like poetry. That That's fucking poetry.
1: Alright, you guys ready to do a little bit of wrap-up on this one? I've got some conversational stuff during the wrap-up. And you know what? Maybe we should start with talking about some of that, if you guys don't mind. Yeah, whatever. Okay. So... Before I get into giving this some stars and whatnot I had you know a couple of really weird things happen here and maybe, maybe you guys can help me out with this so so I read this book, and, and you know as I'm reading through it I, quite honestly i I felt a little disappointed, and that's because I realized that I'm grading this against Chuck Poli's work, and you know it hit or miss you know in some places, but the body of his work, I think you know by and large is is great stuff. So is it fair to judge this book in a star rating or whatever by grading it against Fight Club or, you know, Choke or whatever because it's written by the same author?
2: Yes. I think so. I mean, I don't think there's a way around it really, right?
1: Well, I mean, here's my thought. So if this book was written by, you know, Steve Jones, some guy I'd never heard of before, you know, I would have said, it's a pretty goddamn good book. It's really funny but instead i'm thinking about some of the great stuff and and you know i don't believe mr. ferguson's a fan of diary based on something he had said in a in the episode that we did the interview with him but like i like diary i really liked fight club i liked survivor so i l- like this book but i started to not like this book because it's by the same guy who wrote those
2: hmm. i i'm trying to look at i'm looking at it from my own perspective and my feelings having read like probably far less of politics books than you guys have. I've read Fight Club Survivor, Choke, Lullaby, Diary, and that's pretty much it. I tried Invisible Monsters like three times and I couldn't get into it. And I, I tried to be as objective as possible when I'm thinking about the book, and I think that the things I considered to be shortcomings, I, can, I, I would consider those to be shortcomings no matter who wrote them. And so um, I don't think that the gravity of, of of his his body of work is, is affecting my personal opinion. I don't know. I mean, maybe you are being unfair. Maybe you're an asshole.
1: Well, that's what I started thinking, <laughs> and that's why I wanted to get someone else's you know thoughts on it. Because I mean, here we are. We're critics, but you know, if your favorite director makes a movie that's just not up to par with his other stuff, but it's a good movie in comparison, to everybody else is it any less of a movie.
2: Well, let's talk about that. I mean, like, uh, that's an actually really good example because um, there's—I mean, that's going to happen, and everybody's had a situation where someone that they really love they felt let down by. But I mean, in those situations, like, uh, I kind of always been a Kevin Smith fan, and there's definitely movies that he's made that I didn't really care for. So what I did in those times was I looked for those real—you mean
0: anything after Dogma?
2: (laughs) Oh, Clerks Two is like my favorite movie. So in those movies that I was kind of disappointed by, I still tried to look for the moments that were those authentic, the things that I like about him as a writer director that I could find in those movies, even if overall I didn't like the movie in general, so I don't know, yeah it's tough like I think it would take a lot to shake my loyalty with you know of someone, but it is very difficult not to judge them, not to judge one work against. I guess the others are the ones you loved a lot,
1: Sean. Any more thoughts other than no? <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> I, I
0: actually, I actually got into this. I was actually excited because I just wanted to beat the ever living dog shit out of this book. Um, I got into reading because of Fight Club. I have a tattoo referencing Fight Club, you know, and then anything after Lullaby really just never hit a mark with me at all. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And so I was expecting nothing but further disappointment and disgust with this book. And the synopsis that was going around and being posted on, on Amazon did not help at all either. I don't, like the movie the breakfast club to so to think that there was going to be a book based on that in hell just nothing about that appealed to me so i was i was ready to just say the word fuck a lot and quite possibly <laughs> poop on a book uh, and and damned I, periscope <laughs> brown periscope and i enjoyed this one I, I'm pleasantly surprised by it, honestly.
1: My other thought was, so after reading it in and here, and I'll say it now because i say this in, in the wrap-up, I thought it was kind of short on story. Like, the writing was okay. You could take out the minor annoyances of the repetitive stuff, and it was really funny. Story-wise, it was a little short. And then I read the interview, which mentions it is the first of a three-part story which then kind of changed my mind into it. And I almost wish I'd have known that going into it because my expectations for the story would have been this is a chapter in a bigger story. And I think I would have been able to, I want to say appreciate the story more because it's still short on story in my opinion, but at least to know that it was a part of a bigger story and not as I'm winding down going, well, what really happened you know, in the 300 plus pages I just read? Because it's, it's a lot of commentary, it's a lot of funny stuff, but knowing that it's part of a bigger story and that we'll see uh, Madison again, you know, again, made it more palatable. So I have these outside influences influencing my decision, and I can't seem to, like, let myself treat this as a standalone book. I've got Fight Club in the back of my head. Now I know it's part of a trilogy, and it's all kind of affecting my my judgment on it, and I was having a really hard time just judging this as a straight, just standalone book.
0: See, now I'm I'm actually rather okay with how it stands now and i'm a little put off with the idea that there's two more i i like it as it is
2: wow yeah actually what you touch on is something that was going to play a major part in my wrap up as well but i mean might as well just talk about it here while we're doing it um i as just as you didn't know that this was part of a trilogy i guess until after i finished the book and i read that that lit reactor article and um it changed my opinion a lot. I'm, I'm more on Livia's side with this, where I felt like there was a lot of great stuff developing that I wanted to see more of. And I felt a little unfulfilled or unsatisfied with the book as a whole, but knowing, but that was looking at it as like I thought a standalone book As a standalone book. A standalone book. I, I mean, it had great moments and everything, but as a whole, I wasn't greatly impressed by it, but I think as the beginning of a larger piece, I think it's a lot better than I would think of it as a standalone book. So uh, my rating is going to
1: reflect that. I think it's really good groundwork for something bigger. All right. Now that we've got all that messy stuff out of the way, um, (laughs) who wants to go first on their their wrap-up? I'll go. Like I said mere seconds ago,
2: going into the book and reading it, and considering that it was a standalone book, there was a lot of, I guess one of the biggest problems I had was that it seemed like it was constantly building towards something and not really giving me much of a payoff in the moment. And when the moments came that I thought that there was going to be a payoff, it seemed like it changed directions. in a way it was very unsatisfying for that reason. And it seemed like it left things, at least from my perspective, a lot of things unresolved, uh, And so I was kind of disappointed. I was thinking about it last night um, before I went to sleep, and I was like, I don't want to trash this book, but I've got a lot of frustrations with it that I'm going to have to talk about. And then I read the article today, and it really turned me around. First of all, just to get that background about the personal nature of it and where it came from and what he was going through really helped me think about it in a different way. So that was kind of cool. But then finding out that it was part of a trilogy makes me hopeful that the next two books are going to really flesh out a lot of the stuff that he set the ground for groundwork for in this book. And and so I, I'm a lot happier with it now than I was before. Um, there's a lot of funny stuff in the book, a real lot of funny stuff. I gave five or six quotes in this in this episode, and that's less than half of the quotes that I pulled. It's a lot, a lot of good, funny stuff. And, um, I mean, Polonik has a really good style that I like, and I've read... Other books of his that I liked as well. So, overall, this book I'm going to give it uh, a three and a half, and I'm very hopeful for uh, for what the rest of the, the the series of three books is going to look like.
1: Sean,
0: I like it as it is. He's really gotten away from the minimalist two word sentences. That was fine for a book or two, but um, as his work has progressed, he started to flesh it out, and, and there's actually complete sentences, and you're reading a story, and you're – it. his work really has progressed, I think, from just his last book, and um, I don't know if th- – this rating is influenced by the fact that I liked it so much more than the last book that he put out, but I'm giving it a four.
1: Cool. Very nice. Yeah, I totally thought, much like you were saying earlier, I got the impression from you that this was going to be a very negative review. <laughs> um, so, well, I mean, you know, like I said, and even I went back and listened to Sean's interview this morning in preparation for this. And like I said, there are some things I picked out there, like I mentioned earlier about him. You know, kind of not really caring for diary was something I picked up from that. And, you know, there's there's something else we're going to talk about after this, too, that I heard that that I want to ask him about. But yeah, it's um, I'm going to. All right. Here it is. You already heard what I said. I really, really struggled. And this book has gone between like a two and like a four and a half because I had to keep (laughs) like struggling with these things. And one of them was, um, you know, if this was an unknown author. Um, somebody I didn't know, I should say, not necessarily an unknown author, but someone I wasn't familiar with. This book would have easily been a four star book because it was really goddamn funny. So, but in preparation for this damned review, see what I did there, damned review. Oh. Uh,
0: you put that uh, up on swidt.com. dot com.
1: That's correct. <laughs> right next to the cheap travel to India. That's and, right. Um, coupons that are on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One day that you will know, be erase, yeah, I, I thought about it, and I thought, "Dang, you know, this is this is Paul This is the guy who wrote Fight Club, you know." So then it was like a two-star book because I was comparing it to his other body of work. And so, anyway, anyway, I'm going to sound a whole lot like Rob here. The book was really funny. I felt much better knowing it was part of a bigger story because it is a little short on story. But what it's short on story, it makes up for. I think an in insight and humor, and uh, I'm going to put it right at three and a half as well.
2: Hmm. The book fared a lot better than I thought it was going to last night. I was really worried that we weren't going to be too happy with it. Sean, you were right, though. We kind of went in different directions with what we thought about it.
0: Shocker.
1: <laughs> hey, let's keep it clean. Oh. Nice. Yeah, nice. <laughs> Sean, I alluded to this earlier. We kind of were talking about it. So, Guts. You didn't like Guts? No. for anybody who's not familiar guts was a short story that appeared in haunted i think it's the is it the first at the opening story maybe it's the second one really early on in in the the book haunted which is kind of a collection of short stories that's tied together with this kind of longer thread blah 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 any rate um it's commonly heralded as probably the foulest and most disgusting story ever and i um would have to agree with that based on what i've read that uh yeah, Paul Nick in the space of, I don't know, six pages, maybe seven pages put together this very, very short time frame wise story of of a young man and an incident that he has in his pool. That's probably the easily the foulest thing I've ever read, but really well written. So and again, when I was listening to your interview earlier, I'd heard you say, yeah, and that was before Diary and Guts, which gave me the inclination that you weren't into either one. So tell me why you don't like Guts.
0: The first time I was introduced to the story, there we go, to to the story guts. Um, I was actually hearing the story straight from his mouth in person. Um, it was during the Lullaby tour. That's what he was reading, rather than from Lullaby, which kind of struck me as odd, but whatever. And this was the big tour where he was making people pass out from reading the story, and so I was, you know, I went expecting a show. I drugged my sister to the to the to the reading and she's just like oh I enjoyed Fight Club but who the fuck is this guy and um <laughs> so he read this story and and there was some gasping in the crowd and I don't know if it's you know what I'm exposed to on a relatively regular basis but it wasn't all that gross to me and um I'd heard the story before
1: Oh, there I've said it well that puts kind of an interesting, different spin on things. Um, now that you say that, I'm pretty sure that the first time I was exposed to the story was a recording from one of his um, readings, is how I heard it, because I'm pretty sure I heard it, and when I got my hands on the book, I was actually looking forward to reading it for the first time after having heard the story, although I did hear it from his lips in a you know, bootleg-style recording of a, of a reading. Maybe the one you were at, even.
0: Well, did you hear snoring? <laughs> <laughs> 'Cause then then it would have been it would have been the Washington DC reading. Uh, uh,
1: see, I'm one of those those rarer ons with uh with him and, and I mentioned this on a show before, but like Pygmy. I really liked Pygmy a lot. Pygmy was really funny.
0: Yeah, and and you know, I, I give him a lot of shit, but I'm not gonna stop reading. I I've I've read all but two of his books. I haven't read Pygmy yet and I haven't read Invisible Monsters. Everything else I've read. And love Invisible Monsters. And and the last half of, of his books, with the exception of Damned, I I really could have done without reading.
1: There you go. The Chuck Polinick novellas. <laughs> Alright. We ready to move on from Mr. Polinick?
2: Yeah. I don't have any word, word snobs or word cops or anything like this. Uh, do you guys have any, or do you want to just move right on to the read this, not that segment?
1: Again, I think um, that, I, uh, I think Sean word copped him a little bit with the slutty McSlutsky and stuff earlier, actually.
2: That's a good point. Boom. Yeah. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Suck it. Cool. Um, anybody got some uh, suggestions of books that, that people should read instead of or in addition to this book?
0: I say read The Perks of Being a Wallflower, not Catcher in
2: the Rye. Livius, so have you read Perks of Being a Wallflower? I have not, but I did read
1: Catcher in the Rye.
2: Um, I'm interested to hear you talk a little bit more about this, Sean. I did read actually both Perks of Being a Wallflower and Catcher in the Rye, and they're both kind of coming-of-age stories that um, are <laughs> radically different from each other. So um, why would you say read one and not the other?
0: I don't know, maybe it was the the right story at the right time. That usually makes a whole hell of a lot of difference. But um, as far as I could tell in Catcher in the Rye, nothing happened.
2: That's fairly true. (laughs) There was a lot more use of the word phonies in in Catcher in the Rye than there was in Perks of Being a Wallflower, though.
0: I, I got to the end of Catcher in the Rye, and I was wondering if the back half of my book just disintegrated or fell off or something I got to the end and was like so where's the story
1: I couldn't see that yeah I could see that too wow (laughs)
2: Um, I enjoyed Perks of Being a Wallflower and full disclosure I honestly don't remember almost anything about it Uh, the ending I think sticks with me more than anything but I mean it's a really quick read and it's a if you're into a a pretty well built coming of age story perks of being a wallflower is short and quick and surprisingly good. I'm silent because I have no idea what that book is. Sean, any more read this, not that. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm prompting the hell out of you.
0: Yes, you are. Um, read fight club, not diary, tell all rant, snuff haunted, and probably pick me. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
1: I've said, I've said my piece on most of those books already, so I'll move on. Hey, I'm going to throw one out here that's totally, totally not at all related to any of this, but I found a thread that I can actually put this in there. Um, read this if you want funny. If you want a kind of more serious type of funny, um, Sandman Slim number three, Aloha from Hell, came out this past week. Um, read the Sandman Slim series by Richard Kadri. Good, good stuff.
2: All right. Oh,
0: read all the all the beautiful sinners was just um, reissued today uh, by Zank. I guess it's the remixed version or rewritten version. It was just released today by Stephen Graham Jones.
1: I believe it's a very reasonable seven ninety nine for your reader. And we'll go to retail um, in the near future too. So, but yeah, you can get it at Zank, which is dzank. dot right. com, I think. So, do, you, su- do right.
0: you suppose that Amazon would be selling the rewritten print version for two dollars less? <laughs>
1: <laughs> perfect, perfect segue into something that we we're going to mention.
0: You're um, welcome.
1: Thank you. Our. Uh, Oh, I say this very hesitantly. Our sister podcast, Fat and A, um, that we've mentioned on the show. And Dan, Dan Hines was uh, our goof the,
0: the fat pimply sister no one likes to talk about.
2: Our goof our goof friends at
1: the uh yeah. Dan mentioned to us um there was some talk. Rum Diary is coming out starring Johnny Depp and uh there was some talk about them reading the book, um, which doesn't happen very frequently over in that camp anyway. Um, reading the book beforehand, and uh, Dan posted to uh, Facebook a little earlier that uh, Amazon has. It <laughs> might just a book that came out in 1999. Um, the paperback uh, was re- this particular edition was released in 1999. Um, it is selling for uh, ten dollars and twenty cents, um, at least on my page. He was getting it for a buck cheaper, um, or the Kindle version for uh, what was it? Uh, it was oh, like nine oh
2: three or nine thirty or something like that.
1: Yeah, so it was. Yeah. Uh, it was. Oh no, hold on a second. No, no, no. Kindle edition eleven ninety nine. Paperback edition ten twenty. <$10.20. laughs> there you go. So more for a digital edition than for an actual brand new um, paper copy. So Amazon, shame on you.
2: Well, didn't we talk to someone about this exact phenomenon recently? And they kind of talked about the the behind the scenes part of it, where. About the 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 discount, the way that you can or can't discount things based on whether they're paper, like print books or e-books. I feel like we talked about I that think
1: it was I think it was Max Berry. Yeah. And the thought there was that the publisher sets the Kindle price. Now, here's the interesting thing. I, over the last 47 episodes, have spent quite a bit of time shopping on Amazon for books. And... uh it almost always stresses that the publisher price was or that the price for the Kindle edition was set by the publisher. This page mysteriously does not have that, that disclaimer on here, Hmm. which is usually pretty big. And it's usually when the price to me seems a little ridiculous. It never says that when the Kindle edition is dollars 99, it always says that when it's like 9 99 or 10 99. So I'm not sure how far that extends. If that's every publisher, or, right, there are or certain it's publishers, like a, or yeah, uh, that's a good point. Oh, so yeah, well, two bucks more to get the, to get a digital copy. Yeah.
2: Um, this reminds me—I don't know why—but uh,
1: <laughs> something that
2: I just can't let go. And <laughs> I, I guess this could be our, our informal Patterson watch uh, for for this episode. I got an email the other day. I get emails from Amazon for the Amazon deals of the day and stuff like that or maybe I see them on Facebook wherever I see them. And um uh, the deal of the day for that particular day was um the latest James Patterson book was like 3.99 or something like that. And I was like, yeah, this guy needs all the help he can get selling books. So I'm glad that he was the Amazon deal of the day.
1: That's my and thoughts. further. And just so I don't go without a Patterson watch, um a Christmas wedding. Uh, I'm trying to make out the other author's names. It's really small on this page. By James Patterson and Richard Delala, I think is what it is. Um, that also came out uh, just this past week.
2: There you go. Sean, you got any thoughts about James Patterson? Douchebag. Fair enough. All right. So that's it for an odd conglomeration of Read This Not That and the Patterson watch for this episode.
1: Right. And then I'm kind of excited to talk a little bit about this, and I say a little bit um, because although this uh, novella deserves a lot of attention, in my opinion, I don't want to spoil it for anybody. I'd like for it to unfold for you know for readers like it did for me. So, Sean, you want to tell them about uh, a little bit about what we both recently read?
0: Uh yeah. Um, what was it? Two weeks ago? Three weeks ago? About that? Yep. I, I don't know. I got it ahead of time but um by the nails of the war priest by uh Nick Corpin came out um published by who did that outsiders
1: yep writers yeah ow okay. press
0: right um that came out um and it is phenomenal it is uh, a de- departure from anything i think that he's put out before he's created a whole another universe and um, it's very easy to just uh, slide right in like it's second nature and um, of course he tells a fantastic engaging story that um, it's I, I can't rave enough about it without getting specific and, and ruining shit it's I think it's his strongest writing yet, and um, I've told him so personally, and um, i hope I hope more comes out of this soon.:
1: I am going to give just um part of the uh the description of the book here, and, and the reason I say that is i I read this just based on the fact that it was by Nick and not because of you know what I thought or what I assumed the content to be. I had kind of like a vague idea. And the story really went in a different direction from what I expected, and I really, really liked where it went. So, again, I'm going to give you just a just kind of very general overview of the story. Rife with political and religious undertones, by the nails of the war priest follows an unnamed thief who steals memories from the elderly, those who have a vague memory of the city, before the struggle, and sells them to memory junkies. And that's all I'm going to say about the story. The writing is absolutely excellent. Um, the protagonist is... Uh, it's so easy to 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 sympathize with, and Nick does such a good job of getting you inside the protagonist head that it's just it's fantastic. And my only disappointment um, length, length, length absolutely right, a full length novel
0: only only thirty nine pages. that's in in fact something I said to him as I said uh, when do we get the full novel?
1: I will say this, if anybody's familiar with A um, Light like to Star By by Axel Tiari or if you heard us talk about that on the show, uh, kind of that similar, futuristic, really dark, neo noir kind of world. Um, not that they're the same world, but just that same kind of feel to it. Both excellent. And again, my only complaint with that was, where's the rest of the book? So. Not, Not that
0: there's something missing from the story just you there needs to be you want
1: more exactly so do yourselves a favor pick it up it's available on amazon uh 3.99 and worth every single penny
2: um I, i was quiet during this because i i unfortunately didn't give myself the time yet to read the novella, But Nick Corbin, great guy. He was on our on our show during our Warm and Bound sessions, and he was just the nicest guy. He was very nice in giving us an advanced uh, copy of it to, to read and everything. And I'm really looking forward to reading it because everything I've read and heard about him has just been great. So uh, definitely looking forward to it. We do have a link on the front page of the website. Go to bookpodcast.com, and it'll be the first thing you see is the, the cover for By the Nails of the World by the Nails of the war priest, and um, a link to Amazon where you
1: can go and buy it. I'm also going to say this. um, Nick was nice enough to give us an advanced copy. Anybody who follows me on Twitter may have seen this, and it'll make a lot more sense now. Um, Yeah, thanks Amazon for making it so easy for me to one-click buy something I already have. (laughs) I I went to, which I'm glad, listen, I'm glad to have done it because I really, really enjoyed the story, you know, so I'm glad that I wound up buying it, but I'm on my phone, and someone online made a comment about the cover and I said, Yeah, I should really go and look at the cover of this thing and apparently somehow my stupid thumbs, I managed to one click buy it, which like I said, totally worth it. And I'm really glad I did, especially after reading how just how well it was done.
2: Hey, you mentioned the cover and that brings up something that I I always have been intending to talk about, but uh I keep forgetting to where we don't have a good segue, but The cover artist, and the reason this kind of comes to mind is because he's been posting. uh, Bodensteiner is the guy who who did the cover art for for this novella, and on Facebook he's been posting kind of alternative uh, or or, you know other uh, other pictures or prints or whatever that were inspired by uh, that he he ran through and he made during the process of making this cover. And I mean, the guy's art is just fantastic. And he did the cover for, i like to start by as well. And I think everything he does just looks wonderful. So I, I really like his art and I think that, you know, he deserves a shout out for the good work that he does.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, I mean, head over to his website. There's, there's a, a ton of, uh, and I'm sure Rob will link this, but, um, uh, there's just a ton of artwork that he's done for books and for, it looks like some of them are like posters for signings maybe, but I mean, just Mm -hmm. a lot of really good stuff. The one that jumps out that I've seen all over um, the internet for the the last little while is the speed loader, which is a a compilation that uh, was put together and it's a girl holding a gun, but just another fantastic cover. But yeah, his work is definitely, definitely meriting. So if you're an author looking for (laughs) someone to design a cover, that might be somewhere you, uh, you think to go.
2: For sure.
1: And before we wrap things up, Sean, what are you working on?
0: Um, stuff. Two short stories, three short stories, two novels are in the works, but way, way, way off.
1: That's it. That's it. That's enough. It's more than we're working on. We're trying to work on what we're reading for the next episode. (laughs) You should get on that. Yeah, we'll get there. We haven't missed one yet, so. No, that's true. Um, we're, where can people find the musings of Sean P. Ferguson?
0: Um, mostly on Facebook and SeanPFerguson.com.
1: Awesome. Sean, thank you so much for joining us again on Booked. We really appreciate it.
2: I appreciate it. Pleasure was all mine. Oh, you did it right this time. So speaking a little bit about what we're reading next, that's a very good question. At this point, we haven't decided what we're reading next, so that's going to be a bit of a mystery. you will find out uh, next week when it goes live. Yeah,
1: we'll just call it a surprise episode. Ooh, it's right.
2: a mystery. <laughs> Which would be funny if it wasn't a mystery book, but we're calling it a mystery. No. Yeah. All right. No
1: way. <laughs> Livius, where can people get in touch with us? All right. You can find us, obviously, at bookpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at bookpodcast. You know what? Just type bookpodcast into anything on the Internet, and we'll probably be there. Fair enough. Uh,
2: you can listen to us on iTunes. You can get us on Stitcher. Um, you can find us on our website, bookpodcast.com. Like you said, listen to us there. And, um, yeah, you can come over to my house. I'll play it for you. We can go for a ride in my car. I have some, You know, there's a lot of ways to listen to us. So just find us and
1: listen to us. We're doing very special things to increase <laughs> listenership, including ride-alongs. So. I'll
2: drive you to the airport and play you some episodes of our – yeah, I'm flexible like that.
1: Nice. <laughs> All right. Until next time. I'm Livia Snudden. And I'm Revels and keep And I'm
2: Sean Ferguson.
1: Keep uh keep reading. <laughs> keep reading. All right.